The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. All right, well, good evening. Please take your Bibles. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Put your finger there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. A finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then take your Bibles and go to Numbers 21. First Corinthians chapter 10, and then Numbers 21. Begin reading in Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, when I w then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. The people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. I've heard many people say, I've heard many people say, and some said to me personally that the Old Testament isn't relative anymore, and it was outdated and shouldn't be taken seriously or be relevant or applied today. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and read verse number 1 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse number 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And it all drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were, were our examples, to the intent we should, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Pay attention to verse number 10 and verse number 11. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for what? In samples. And they are written for our admonishment, our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Couldn't quite decide on a title today, so here's three of them. First one, God's response to rebellion. God's response to rebellion. Subtitle would be failure after victory. Failure after victory. Sub-subtitle would be living in the light 
of victory. Living in the light of victory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the time to be together in your word. In your house, we ask that today you would help me as I preach your word, that you would help me to say exactly what you once said and help me to hold back that which you do not once said. I ask that you would put aside any distractions, put aside any, any um, bitterness in any hearts, anything that would keep someone from listening to your word being preached. We ask that you would help us to get exactly what you want from your word tonight. Help us to leave here better than we came. In Christ's name I pray, amen. When considering the text we just read, one would have to ask the question, how? How did this take place, this event here, this, as we read through Deuteronomy 21, verse 1 through 5, we see very plainly, verses 1 through 3, a victory that was given. We see a victory that was given from God. Some of them were taken captive, you know, after the spies were sent, and ten or two were good and ten were bad, you know that song? And God told them, take the land, and they didn't take the land. So he banished them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But during that time, I couldn't exactly find the right time scale on this, but during that time, some were taken captive, so Israel asked God, give us the victory. They made a vow. In verse number three, the Lord hearkened to their voice. The Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. Now the children of Israel at this point are wandering for about 40 years. It is time for them to move on. It is time for them uh, to make their way to the promised land after this time of wandering. God is finally leading them forward for the first time in 40 years. Now, the children of Israel have been known for being victorious. They have been known for winning battles. Even against great and mighty armies, God has given them victory time and time again. The victories of God were echoed throughout the nations. It was through God that Israel had received the victory. Why did they get the victory in the first place? They put their trust in God. They cried out to God. They didn't just strap up their boots and strap on their their armor and put on their helmets, grab their shields and their spears and their swords and go out to victory. No, they sought God for the victory. They sought God for the victory. After seeking God for the victory, then God gave them the victory. And now, they're discouraged. They're discouraged as they travel. The word discouraged, I think it's lost its meaning today. We often use the word in different, in different ways. We usually throw it around a little bit more. But God took it pretty seriously in Numbers chapter 21. The word discouraged here in this text means to be dispirited or disheartened. To be pressed down without the ability of getting back up. One of the words is, uh, we get the word vexed, which means to be tortured, 
This word is used to describe Paul in 1 Peter. As Peter is preaching about Lot, and it says, as he lived in the place of Sodom, as Lot dwelt in Sodom, remember a while back we talked in Genesis, or it's Genesis chapter 13 and 14, Lot made his way from pitching his tent outside of Sodom to dwelling in Sodom, buying or building a house there. And he saw the perverseness of the nation, and he saw the wickedness, and it says it vexed his righteous soul. It tortured him. Unable to leave until the two angels that sat with God and Abraham when they told Abraham that Sarah was going to have a child. Those same two angels made their way to Sodom to destroy the city and basically forced Lot to leave. He was vexed, held captive, held down without the ability to leave or to get up. So the word discouraged means to be pressed down so far that you can't even get back up. A heavy heart, we wouldn't necessarily call that discouragement. Grief, sorrow, they weren't dealing with grief or sorrow. They weren't dealing with just some type of burden. They were much discouraged in verse 4. Pressed down without the ability of getting back up. Now we can make a list of things that we could be discouraged about, but more specifically tonight, I'd like to point out what made Israel discouraged. I'd like to see what got God so angry with the children of Israel. They were discouraged, the Bible says, because of the way. They were discouraged because of the way. In other words, the way they had to travel, the way they had to go. I don't know if it's too far, too hard, too difficult, or what, but they were discouraged because of the way. Where they at, uh, were at in Sinai, or, uh, Sinai, there were five different wildernesses. Five huge plains with no food, no water, living in tents. You talk about eating outside after church in the heat. They did it every day of their lives, dwelling in tents, roaming and wandering for 40 years. And rather than live in the, in the light of victory, they are now discouraged. Rather than seeing that God, if they cry to God, and they make their petition known to God, he has the ability, he has the capability to give them victory. But rather, they're discouraged, complaining about the inconvenience of the travel. Not just the travel, but the travel that God is leading them on. And what they aren't willing to consider is that God is leading them in the way that he is for a purpose. They said it before. If this is the way it's going to be, why don't we just die here? Let's go back to Egypt. We're so far down, we don't even want to get back up. This was more than just being a little upset or sorrowful or experiencing grief. This was something else completely. Something else entirely. 
It was a symptom of rebellion. It was a symptom of rebellion. What's the first five words in verse number five say? And the people spake against. People that are rebellious, they always speak out against pretty much everything. You know the people that I'm talking about, those who are against everything. Nothing's going right, nothing is good. They might show up for church, might show up for an activity, but first chance they get, they speak against. There were these two old charter members of a church, been going there for years, Ralph and Earl. They're sitting there, waiting for church to start. And Ralph turns to Earl and says, Earl? We've been a part of this church for a long time. Yep. We've seen a lot of different people come through this church. Yep. We've seen a lot of changes around here. Yep. And I've been against every one of them. Some people just like to be against things. They just like to complain and murmur about things. And a lot of times it has to do with their own inward rebellion. But eventually that inward rebellion becomes outward rebellion. The way people act, the way people talk, the way they treat other people. And there's an inward problem taking place, and it's being expressed outwardly. It takes place in a lot of different ways. Could be complaining. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, murmuring, disputing, just have to, be a, have to be a downer about everything. Could be the form of gossip. And they're acting out that way. I know something you don't know. That's the attitude behind it. A lot of times we run so rampant with our mouths we don't even stop to collect the facts. Now I was reading this passage in, verse, in uh, chapter 21. I couldn't help but wonder. See, we have this new generation that's present. We have this new group of people that's present. A lot of the older generation is dying off, but where was this older generation when this wandering was taking place? Where was this previous generation? Did they, could they, would they have forewarned them about why they're wandering in the desert in the first place? Why they're wandering in the wilderness in the first place? But you think they would have told them, we messed up. We were faithless and we were disobedient. God told us we would have victory if we relied on him and took the land, but we were afraid. Why? Listen, why? Because the majority said it was impossible. Twelve spies, ten bad, two good, ten said it can't be done, ten said it's an impossible task, ten said there's no way, ten said they're great, they're giant, there's a lot of them, they outnumber us, they look absolutely terrifying, ten said we can't do it, two said we can do it. And why did the two say that they could do it? Because they put their faith and their trust in God. 
Just because the majority says something doesn't mean that it's right. Just because most people are talking about it and putting it down and speaking against does not mean that it's right. Why didn't this previous generation tell them, encourage them, follow God? Don't make our mistake. Follow God. Don't act like we did. Follow God. Where were their parents that could have said, we messed up? We rebelled. Follow God. You know, while we're here, there's, there's a, lot, a lack of parenting in our country. There's a lack of godly parenting in our country. The average child spends 104 hours a year in church. The average child spends 104 hours a year in church. This is the average of 104 hours per child per year. This isn't extra activities. This isn't um, anything other than just regular church attendance. <clears throat> this isn't camps and rallies. This is average child. You consider those whose parents come and those whose parents do not spend about an average of 104 hours a year in church. Some would be more, some would be less. The average child also spends 1,280 hours a year in their school. 1,280 hours a year in their school. This is not counting uh, extracurricular activity, detention, um, any of the breaks, sports, the chess club, none of that is included here, just semester hours. <clears throat> the average child spends 2,920 hours a year at home. 2,920 hours a year in the home. You know, church is a great thing. Church is a wonderful thing. But if parents rely on just the church to raise their kids, you're probably going to have some pretty sour kids. A lot of times, some children, that's all they have. I've worked on a bus, in the bus ministry for about 15 years. The church we came from, <clears throat> we did our bus ministry in the Sunday morning versus the Wednesday night. So we had them for Sunday school and we had them for Sunday morning service. And we had a great time with the kids on the way to pick them up, on the way to drop them off. On the way to drop them off, we would always have another lesson. So we got the Sunday school, we have your morning service, we have your um, lesson on the way home that one of the workers would do. Try to cram as much Bible into their brains as we possibly could because the rest of the week, their parents aren't church. Parents aren't saved. Parents don't have any care or regard for the things of God or his word. Our bus route was on the south side of Oklahoma City, which isn't the best area. It's not quite as bad as the north, but the uh, on-cue gas station that we would stop at sometimes to get the kids slushy. Behind that on-cue was a community of homeless people. We had nothing to be walking down the street or driving by and hearing gunshots, things like that. 
I knew that some of the homes that these kids grew up in, it's, it was vital for us to preach and teach them the Word of God. <clears throat> because they're, don't, they don't have parents that know God that will teach them. But train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. It's the parent's job to disciple their kids. It's the parent's job to disciple their teenager. But a lot of in our nation, that's lacking. <clears throat> I received a letter. About three, four weeks ago, something like that. I'm not going to tell you the organization. <clears throat> but I will read you about half the first page. To whom it may concern, this is urgent. Lives are at risk. So I'll get right to the point. Now that sounds like somebody that has a cause. Somebody that has motivation for writing a letter and sending it out. This is urgent. Lives are at risk. So I'll get right to the point. Every day we're seeing reports on the all-out assault on transgender youth in more than 100 bills in 33 states across the country. Opponents are spreading false claims and making harmful public comments aimed at, the attack, aimed at and attacking trans youth. They will stop at nothing until discrimination against all LGBTQ plus people is legal. We must stop these dangerous bills, listen to this next phrase, which are endangering our kids and thwarting the progress we're making for, uh, toward full equality from becoming law. The time for our community to unite and protect our LGBTQ plus loved ones is right now. And of course, as a dedicated supporter, they're going to ask me for money that I make a gift and send it to them in this pre-addressed envelope that came with the letter. Now listen to this next part. Imagine being a young child forced to prove your gender with internal and external exams just to join other students playing sports at school. Imagine being blocked from accessing gender-affirming medical care. Imagine being a parent of a trans kid labeled a criminal for trying to access life-saving medical care for your child or being a trans-affirming medical professional with years of informed experience, now facing criminal charges for providing vital services to transgender and non-binary youth. I'm going to read one more statement. Listen to this. We don't have to imagine it. It's happening right now. They're right. It is happening right now. There is a battle for our youth going on right now. This is real. This is happening in our nation today in 2021. I honestly, growing up, never thought this would be the issue, but this is one of the issues. This is one of the battles we're facing. I remember when I first heard of this case a few years ago, we're living in Oklahoma, and they were trying to get this petition signed for this nine-year-old in California in our nation, to be able to have a sex change. 
at nine years old. Nine years old. People are trying to fight and advocate for this nine-year-old to legally have a sex change operation. You know, we could spend our time speaking against a lot of things. That's what the children of Israel were doing. They were speaking out, speaking against. And it's not the idea of just arguing. No, they were, they were against, against. That was their attitude. We could spend a lot of time arguing, fighting, being against the things of God, or we can be fighting and against things like this, things that matter. Sin, iniquity. We could fight against the thing the Bible fights against, or we could spend our time fighting against the things that the Bible is for. In this case, the children of Israel. But who exactly were they speaking against? And the people spake against God. Now, Society is speaking against God enough. I don't think we need believers or churches speaking against God. That's exactly what happens when you speak against God's word. That's exactly what happens when this inward rebellion becomes outward rebellion. Society is speaking against God enough. We do not need God's people doing it that way. How many times has God done something great? And here we are acting like it had never happened. Now, this, the first three verses talk about the last victory that Israel had had. And rather than living in the light of that victory, anticipating another, they decide to get discouraged and to speak against the God who gives the victory. And a lot of times as Christians, we spend our time speaking against the things of God rather than living in light of the victory. A lot of times victories happen. God does something great, and we miss it. We can't see it. There's been many times in church where things were going great. We had a wonderful day. We had a wonderful Sunday. People were singing. Praises to God were being met. <clears throat> preaching was effective and changed lives. There was people at the altar giving things over to God. More than one time, someone comes up to me, and they just rain on the whole parade. They're t- totally a Debbie Downer. And they're just against, 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 and they're missing out on the victory. When someone is rebellious and they're acting out on that rebellion, and they're not getting, in, get, uh, getting it right, they're doing themselves a disservice because they're going to miss out on the victory. God gave them a victory, and now they're discouraged because the journey is inconvenient. They were speaking against God, but notice they were also speaking against Moses. Well, who was Moses? Moses was their spiritual leader. Moses was the one that God put in place in order to lead and guide the children of Israel. God would speak to Moses, and Moses would speak to the people. 
There's a lot of people that like to speak against not just God, but those around them. Well, the, the pastor's making more changes. That Sunday school teacher, well, if I were them, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, no one asked you to do it. They asked them to do it. That music, the, the music guy, he's just, he's terrible. They just need to get rid of him. Like, he is bad. Something like that. And I've actually heard him say that, but I'm just saying. But they just have to speak against everybody. Everything could be going great. God could be doing things. We could have victory. We could see God doing things, but somebody has to be against it. It's only due to their inward rebellion coming out. Rather than living in the light of victory, anticipating what God's going to do next. We saw somebody saved last week. What's going to happen this week? God touched me in a very specific way last week during the preaching or during the Sunday school lesson or during the song service. What's God going to do this week? Instead of living in the light of victory, we find ourselves speaking against. We live in a blame-happy society today. Blame the pastor, blame the teacher, blame the youth guy, blame, blame the deacons or blame whoever. The person across the church, and I sit on the other side of the church just so I don't have to look at the other person across the church. I want to be as far away from them as possible. And they're missing out on what God's doing. Because they're so busy blaming everyone else, parents, husband, wife, police, government, <clears throat> and even God, before they're willing to take responsibility for themselves. <clears throat> but I also want you to notice today that Rebellious people like to exaggerate. They exaggerate everything. In verse 5, they were speaking against God and Moses. And they tell Moses this, Wherefore have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now hold on a second. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but what I know about God, if God wanted them dead, I don't think he would take 40 years to do it. I think he could do it a little bit quicker than that. You brought us out here to die. Why? Because we have no bread. You have no bread? What do you mean you have no bread? 40 years and no bread? We have no water. 40 years and no water? But it wasn't that they had no bread. It's that they were discontent with the bread. The bottom of verse number 5. And our soul loatheth this light Bread. We detest this bread. In other words, God's provision is not good enough. We detest it. Well, we're just really good at complaining, aren't we? People just, we complain all the time. How many times do we, do we do that? God's provided this. It's obvious. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I have food, water. I have a place to live, a car to drive, a job that pays the bills. But yet we like to... Complain that God's provision isn't good enough. We like to apply that to church sometimes, too. The church he's provided for us is not good enough. If you're looking for a perfect church, you ain't going to find it. I'll just tell you, because church is made up of people, and people are, as the Bible says, not good. No, not one. That's why we needed a Savior.
You know what exaggerating is? Making something worse than it needs to be. It's making something worse than it needs to be. We'll do that today. Everything is terrible. Everybody hates me. Really. Everybody doesn't even know who you are. But yet we like to make it seem that way. And this rebellion against God is manifesting itself outwardly because it is inside of the children of Israel. It's coming out through their verbal conduct. And it's coming out through their verbal conduct because they've let it build up inside this rebellion. It might have started as discouragement, but now... They're speaking against God. We have the symptoms of rebellion. We also have the consequence of rebellion. The consequence of rebellion. What does God do? Verse number 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of the children of Israel died. I think I'd rather have the bread. I mean, to be honest with you. He sent fiery serpents. Without, not only were they venomous, but when they bit them, it felt like your skin was on fire. These serpents come out of nowhere. They bite the children of Israel, and many of them die. Here are the same people that spoke against God, that refused to take responsibility for themselves. And they're speaking against and blaming Moses and God. Now they're being consumed by Snakes. There is a world, there is a generation, a people that have rebelled against God. And the consequence of that rebellion is judgment. Except that judgment isn't just a mere snake bite. The snake represents something much more severe. Because of the rebellion, there is a world that is sick, lost, dying, and going to hell. People that have spake against God, it's not hard to find them. They're in our very nation. Our nation, there's a lot of people in our nation that are thumbing their nose at God. That's what Sodom did. They thumbed their nose at God. The Bible said that God destroyed them for their pride. They had no remorse, no conviction about their sinful condition. We have a lot of people that are thumbing their nose at God. And I'm here to tell you, believers shouldn't be among those people. Believers shouldn't be the ones that are speaking against God. Rather, we should speak against the thing that God speaks against. There's this notion in our society that we can, we can have this transgender movement, this ridiculous, ridiculous platform where men can become women and women can become men. If you feel like it, it's fine. It is the most ridiculous thing to see men competing in women's sports standing on a first-placed platform. 
and the fact that some people don't even know which bathroom to use. America has thrown biblical marriage out the window in exchange for homosexual union. Secular institutions are throwing out the Bible but are welcoming the Quran and the religion of Islam. There's plenty of things to speak against. Let's not make God one of them. People lie, steal, and cheat to get ahead. There was a day where a handshake was good enough as if it was a contract. When you gave your word, you meant it. But in Genesis chapter 3, there was something called the fall. Where Adam and Eve listened to the devil, rebelled against God, and cursed humanity. I want us to notice tonight, there's a cure for rebellion. There is a cure for rebellion. The people went to Moses and they said, we have sinned. Pray to God on our behalf. So Moses prays to God and asks God to help with the whole fiery serpent situation. So God tells him what to do. Make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. No, so Moses takes this fiery serpent, he makes it, and he makes it out of brass. He takes the pole out of brass, and he puts them together so that they could be healed from this curse. Now, as I read this passage of Scripture, I, I understood that the brass represents the judgment. Oftentimes in Scripture, brass will represent judgment. And I assume that the serpent that was lifted up represented Jesus. But that is true, but it's half true. The serpent itself represents sin. So how does that work? Well, the Bible, I mean, it tells us that Christ is sinless. There's no sin in him. So how does the serpent represent sin? He was perfect. But there's a verse in the Bible that will help clear that up. For he hath made him to be sin. <clears throat> For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin. He hath made Jesus to be sin for us. So as, these, as the children of Israel were being judged by God, he tells Moses, take a fiery serpent, make you a fiery serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up, and what happens? As you look to the fiery serpent, the one that Moses made, the bites were gone. The poison vanished. Death, not there. Instead, they experienced healing. You know, a lot of times, God has to bring some things into our lives that are very uncomfortable in order to get our attention. <clears throat> and if we are wise and we're smart, we will listen. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, this is the rest of the verse, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, there was a transaction that was made. When you got saved, he took your sin and you took his righteousness. What an exchange. What a transaction. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, he who was guiltless, took the penalty, took the punishment of the guilty, and gave them his righteousness. It'd be as if Elon Musk, I heard he became recently the second richest person in the world, was walking down the streets of California and he saw a homeless man. What would happen if he looked at this homeless man and said, let's switch spots. I mean, you got that nice tent, and I got, you know, billions of dollars in a company. I put, you know, built rockets. I made the electric car attractive. I've done all these things. Let's switch spots. I'll take your tent. You take my houses. People look at him, call him mad, insane, off of his rocker. How much more extreme is it that Christ, who was perfect, sinless, had no malice or guile or sin of his own, came to a sin-cursed earth, took the cross, took the beatings, took the shame, the guiltless taking the place of the guilty, so that the guilty could take the place of the guiltless. Why would you want to speak against a God like that? Why would we want to rebel against a God like that? The one that took our place so that we didn't have to. Not only the death of the cross, but the eternal death called hell. Taking that away from us, justifying us. Why would we want to rebel against a God like that? 1 Corinthians 10 says these things were given for our example so we could learn from them. It's given as a warning. The complaining of Israel, the consequences, I don't think they were worth it. If you're here and you're not saved, there is a transaction that you can make where Christ takes all of your sin and he gives you his righteousness. If you're here and you are saved, maybe you need to get back to the cross. Not for salvation, but for forgiveness. Forgiveness for the way you've been acting. Forgiveness for the way you've been talking. For forgiveness for the way you've been treating other people. The children of Israel, they were discouraged. But discouragement led to rebellion. Maybe that's you tonight. Grumbling, complaining, speaking against God and all those around you. Maybe God's done some mighty things and you've missed out. You missed out because you can't see it. You can't see it because your eyes are on earthly things. 
and not heavenly things, and there's rebellion inside. Maybe you're just a complainer. You're murmuring. <clears throat> Let the children of Israel be an example and put away rebellion. Father, thank you for the time to be together. I ask that you would help us and guide us as we leave this place. Help us to have a constant reminder that you have saved us for a greater purpose, something that we can't even imagine. You've called all of us, all of us, to live our lives in the light of victory. God, I ask you would help those that are here. If they are in need of change, I ask that you would start that change in their lives. There is inward rebellion. God, I ask that you would help us to see it, myself included. Anything comes up in our lives that is against your word, that is against your will, that is against your purpose, help us to see it. Help us to live our lives in the light of victory. Help us to live our lives without rebellion, without speaking against you, your leadership, your word. Help us to remember what you did for us on the cross. Help us to put you first in our lives and to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.